Support for today's episode comes from the Diocesan Annual Campaign. Your donation is vital in continuing our mission of evangelization and helping our community grow in their faith, love, and understanding. Support from donations helped us to produce over 57 original episodes last year that were spread across terrestrial radio, internet-based platforms, and social media outreach. This year, we're planning to share even more original content on relevant topics in the church, current events, and questions you've always wanted to hear answered. The 2024 annual campaign is now open and accepting donations, so if you've loved what you've listened to in the last two years of our programming, thank you so much for being a part of the Candid Catholic Convos community, and please consider making a donation to this year's campaign to help us to continue to spread the word of God across the airwaves. Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. So here's something I sometimes struggle with, and maybe you do too. What does it mean to live well? Nowadays, we're pulled in so many different directions of what having a good life looks like what being a good parent looks like, what being successful looks like. There's so much noise out there that it's hard to tell what information is good and worthwhile and what's not. So where are we supposed to look for a good example of what it means to live well? Where are we supposed to look for a model so that we can in turn be an example for our children? What does that even look like anyway? Today, we're chatting with John Leonetti, a nationally known Catholic speaker, best-selling author, radio host, and the keynote speaker for this year's Diocesan Men's Conference about using St. Joseph as a model for our livelihood, our love life, and our big V vocations. John, thank you so much for joining me on Candid Catholic Convos. I'm really excited to welcome you to the program and to have you at the diocese for our men's conference coming up. Well, thanks. I appreciate it, Rachel. I'm looking forward to it. So would you mind, for those who may not be familiar with your work, would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself and what sure. kind of led you to this ministry? So I was studying to be a priest for about three and a half years. And um, some of you, some of the listeners probably uh, know Bishop Robert Barron. So he was my professor in seminary uh, when I went off to major seminary for a short period of time. He was my professor before he was well known. At the time, he was kind of, I believe, going out on weekends and giving uh, kind of priest retreats. But so it was really awesome to be able to kind of study under him and just some amazing priests um, throughout those um, throughout those three and a half years. But I discerned, as you can uh, as you can now know, that um, the priesthood was not where God was calling me. So I um, I left. I went back home to live with my parents. Boy, they were really excited about that, by the way. And uh, I was really kind of searching what God wanted for me in my life. Um, I was starting to, you know, when I was in fifth grade, I was always enamored with people that would go out and give parish missions. 
And uh, I remember my first parish mission I ever attended at my, at my, at my uh, parish, and it was by a priest. And at that time, you know, most were, most were priests that were going out and doing those. But I remember thinking in fifth grade, I, I want that. That's what I feel called to do. It was really strange. And so when I went off to seminary, actually, I wasn't just discerning priesthood, but I was discerning what God, like where God wanted me as a priest. And so I went and I toured. I got permission from my vocation director and I went and I toured all around different religious orders. And, you know, I, I spent some significant time with some in prayer and the Lord just made it very apparent to me that I was not called to the priesthood after those three and a half years. Um, so I left. And, and like I said, a lot of people think that I left because I put this in my first book, Mission of the Family. They think that I left because I um, wanted to get married. And that could not have been any further from the truth. Um, when I left, I, I did some work with married couples in my time in the seminary. And that did it for me. I was like, I do not want to get married at all. I am totally fine being single for the rest of my life. And uh, God is a God of surprises. I actually, uh, funny part, I, I built a grilled cheese stand for two years and I went out to Iowa State University and I sold grilled cheese sandwiches to intoxicated college students <laughs> from like 9 p.m. to 4 a.m. every Thursday, Friday and Saturday night. And then I would leave often. I'd go give parish missions Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. Um, and of course, eventually closing down, I, I wrote a book um, that be became pretty popular. It was uh, on Matthew Kelly's Dynamic Catholic Book Program. And this is way back when. And um, he was just so generous and gracious to me um, with that book and, and my second book that I wrote through Dynamic Catholic. And um, you can imagine, you know, uh, I, I started going out and speaking, um, you know, especially with kind of his endorsement that he gave me, which was really nice. And, and kind of having those books through him was was awesome. But um, here we are today. So I'm, I'm still going out. I, I'm primarily just do parish missions and men's conferences. Um, and so. I, I, I love men's conferences. I'm excited to get out there again because, you know, you just you get an opportunity to really dive into guys' lives. And, and you know, men, they, they're hurting in our world today. And uh, many of them are, many of them are struggling. And, and um, you know, my message to them is Jesus Christ is the ticket. He's a ticket to every fulfillment of every desire that, that every man and woman has. And so that's what I'm bringing. I love that you were able to, to really like you use seminary as a true discernment and you, you were able to listen and, and hear that, like, like you knew that you had to do something with God, but you weren't quite sure what it was. And you were able to kind of figure that out as you went. And you, you really used that as an opportunity to dial in. To, yeah. I guess what God was telling you. And I, I think that that's, well, as I said, God is a God of surprises. So I would eventually get married um, and she would actually convert to Catholicism. There's a whole story behind that, which is awesome. But, um, you know, my wife and I uh, happily married with three kids and, um, you know, just trying to do the Lord's work. So I do a lot of coaching for entrepreneurs back in Des Moines, Iowa, where I am um, with uh, uh, about over a dozen clients. And then I uh, go out um, other times and, and give these missions in, in men's conferences. So it's exciting to do so. That's really cool. And I love that you're on a mission through like men's conferences and parish missions to kind of really speak that out to men who really need to hear it right about now. And speaking of men's conferences, for our men's conference this year, the theme is St. Joseph, the Carpenter's Table. So I want to take a minute and talk a little bit about St. Joseph, because there's not a whole lot about him in the scriptures other than he was a carpenter and he was a just obedient man. So especially with today's lack of definition, what does it mean to be a just or a good man? And why do we look to St. Joseph for examples of those qualities? 
I, I mean, ultimately, it's to discern the will of God, right? And to live that out, to say yes to it. So, you know, discernment, I, I kind of go back to what I was saying before, throughout my life, my early part of my life, I was really discerning, but I had discernment all wrong. See, I thought discernment was kind of coming to a conclusion, really kind of thinking, making time to really think what it is that I wanted to do with my life. And what I came to realize is that's not what what discernment is. Um, the art of discernment, as Pope Benedict XVI would call it, the art of discernment is is discerning or asking the question, what does God want from me? Because that that's right there what the whole world is looking for. We may not even know it, right? John Paul II said, it is Jesus you seek when you dream of a happier life. So when I, when I dream of a happier life, what I'm dreaming of is God's will for me and to do and to live by what God wants for me. That's where my happiness lies. That's where the fulfillment of every desire that I have lies. And that's what St. Joseph embodied. It was it was just complete reception to what God had planned for him. You know, for some saints, they're, they're out in the spotlight, right? I mean, you look at Mother Teresa, and that was really difficult for her, by the way. She didn't want to be in the spotlight. But you look for a lot of, a lot of these saints, and some were really hidden, and Joseph really kind of embodied that, which is why I think devotion to him was so quiet uh, for so, so much of the church's history. You know, only really in about the 16, 1700s, 1800s, did, was there kind of an explosion of, of, uh, uh, of devotion to this great saint. And, and the church kind of puts the stamp of approval on just how great he is uh, by giving him the patronage of the universal church herself and also the patronage of, of all families, right? The microcosm of God stamped in the world is the family. And, and, and the church gives us St. Joseph to look to as the one who can help us in every one of those areas. So, you know, good and just is, is simply just following what God's will is for us. And, and that means taking time to pray, which is the most important thing any of us can ever do, and listen. And I was just having this conversation with my 11-year-old and 8-year-old the other day. You know, they were like, Dad, I, I'm listening during Mass. I'm not hearing any voices. And I, I said, well, if you start hearing voices, I'm probably going to take you to the doctor, right? God, <laughs> God isn't just going to speak to you through like a loud, booming voice. Sometimes he does. He has, right? But sometimes he'll speak to you through your thoughts. Sometimes he'll speak to you through your mom and dad, I tell him. Sometimes he'll speak to you through your teachers, your coaches. I said, so you got to really be attuned, but you can't stop asking, Lord, what do you want from me? And, and Joseph, again, back to it, him and Mary, uh, Joseph, he embodied that true art of discernment, receiving and listening God's will for his life. And and look at what he did. I love that. And it, and it speaks to you know, how open and receptive he was. Cause I, I think it says in the scriptures, like four times God approached him in, in his dreams. So you're right. It's not like, you know, it may come in the form of him yelling at you through a megaphone, but nine times out of 10, it's, it's a lot more subtle than that. And you have to really be in tune to listening to it. Yeah. Quiet, quiet listening. Um, and, and Joseph again, embodied that, that, that silence, that obedience, to what God um, had planned for him. And and this is the same for every one of us. We, we've got to discern, we've got to obey what it is that God wants. For, and it's not an overnight thing, but that's the, that's the key, at least for me, what Joseph teaches. Yes, absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit more about St. Joseph as a man, because you're a parent, I'm a parent. Um, I have three small boys, so I get to say hello and goodbye to lots of different stages of boyhood and manhood from an outside perspective. But, you know, in terms of the church, there's a lot of different depictions of St. Joseph throughout the history of the church. You know, there, I've seen a lot of statues or artwork of him as an old man. And the theory I heard is that 
he's pictured as an old man because only an old man would be mature enough to remain chaste in his relationship with Mary. But from what I understand, carpenters of the time were more like artisans. They didn't just work with wood. They worked with lots of different mediums, which requires a lot of demanding physical labor. So it would make sense that we we also see depictions of him as a younger man because only a younger man closer to the age of Our Lady could handle the physical work. So to me, these two depictions um, show how multifaceted good men are. And my question is is twofold. What can St. Joseph teach us about the honorable nature of work, of hard work, of labor? And what can he teach us about modeling true love for a spouse? Well, those are great questions. Um, I'd say first and foremost, my favorite depiction of Joseph is sleeping, right? It, it, there's that mm-hmm. image of the sleeping Joseph. And that just has always resonated with me. It's always spoke to me. I have that little statue at home on our bookshelf um, that I will look to uh, often. And, and why is he sleeping? He was exhausted. Right. I mean, day in and day out, that's all the guy knew was work. And if he wasn't working, you know, building a table, if he wasn't working in people's homes and helping them, uh, you know, put things together or an artisan in anything, he was he was protecting Mary, and which was the most important job that he had was protecting the Holy Family, Mary and, and, and Jesus. And so, you know, there wasn't often a kind of rest for him. You know, it kind of reminds me of what some of the saints said, right? I'll rest when I die, right? But right here on this earth, I've got I've got work to do. Um, so he teaches us in a lot of ways. Number one, uh, work hard and whatever it is that God's calling us to do. And number two, there's great dignity in that. And in work, what we're really doing is serving. And, and so there's a lot that our, of course, Catholic faith can kind of sprinkle in there to be able to help see the dignity of service, right? Of work in everything that we do. Um, answer to your second question, that love is pure self-gift. It is to will the good of the other as other. It is unselfishness. Greed has to die. That in order for me to truly lay down my life for my spouse or, or just love, period, that I have to take up my cross, deny myself, and follow Jesus. You know, Jesus shows us ultimately what that looks like on, uh, on a tree, right? As he hangs on the trees, he is born to die for us. He shows us the mission for us as well. That we're born here to die to ourselves. So like St. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the glory of that is found in the resurrection with all of us, where we rise with Christ, but we don't rise with Christ insofar as we don't, we, we die with him. We have to die with him, which is why Good Friday comes before Easter Sunday. And, and Joseph shows us that again, it's not about me. It's not about my life. It, 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 all selfishness, greed, ego, all of that was, was um, re- Joseph ridded himself of that by God's grace. And he shows us and depicts what a true humble servant actually looks like. So yeah, if we're going to love, especially in our, in our families, we've got to sacrifice. And what's the sacrifice? I'm just dying to me. It's no longer about me. It's now about my spouse and it's about my, my kids. And I have to embody that. I think that's beautiful. And I, I think you're right. And I think that's something that we don't necessarily think a whole lot about when we're entering into the sacrament of marriage of that you are going to essentially have to give so much of yourself. It's almost like a death to self yeah. um, because you're now becoming one with your spouse. But that's where, that's where a happy marriage lies, right? I yeah. mean, when my marriage is at its best, it's when my wife are sacrificing for each other, when there's no more selfishness, greed, or ego, right? When my marriage is at its worst, it's when one of us are being selfish, one of us are being greedy, 
one of us are being egotistical or just kind of pointing to ourselves, right? So the beauty of that is the life that Christ Jesus calls us into isn't a misery. It's not a it's not a drudgery. It's 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 life fully alive, right? The happiest people I know are the most selfless people I know. The most miserable people I know are the most selfish people I know. It's ingrained in us. You know, none of us wake up in the morning and say, I, I just hope I can surround myself with super selfish people. Right. We, we loathe that. And yet oftentimes we embody it ourselves. And so, you know, in Joseph teaches us what that true death to self is. I heard a priest once say family, the acronym for family, F-A-M-I-L-Y, forget about me. I love you. And I've always remembered Ooh. that. And, you know, one of the things my wife and I will do is often we will when we tell each other we love each other, we'll follow it up with a phrase. Because it can be so easy for us just to kind of, you know, uh, rem- you know, I love you, just kind of, you know, say it and not mean it. But one of the things that um, my wife and I will follow it up with at times is we'll say, I love you and I will sacrifice for you. Right. Mm-hmm. So it puts that meaning behind what that love is. And if you really want to turn it up a notch, you say, I love you and I will sacrifice for you today. And that's a that to me is it. Right. That is where. Our, our happiness, true faith lies. And, and this is the perfect charity that Christ Jesus calls us into. I love that. And especially as somebody who, who you, you had said that you initially weren't looking for a partner, you, you weren't, you didn't think you were called to the vocation of marriage. Um, so to hear that, that is very empowering for married couples out there, um, especially who are looking to who deepen the relationship with their partner. And I want to kind of dive in a little bit more about marriage. What do you think made the marriage between Joseph and Mary different? And and how do we apply that to our own marriages in 2024? Well, they, they both turned themselves over to the genius that God called them to. Um, you know, as St. John Paul II would call it the feminine genius, and, and the masculine genius is they were both they both understood what true manhood is and true womanhood is and gave themselves over to it. There wasn't that kind of a competition between the two. And, and both of them allowed them to, to live that out, which I thought was which I think was great. The other thing, too, that I really think about often is Mary and Joseph, they probably spent a lot of time together. You know, I mean, I know Joseph was out working and everything, but Joseph came home at night, right? And Mary was always there and you know, they didn't have iPhones and, and, you know, TV and all that kind of stuff. Just think of the conversations that they had. Think of the dreams that they spoke about for Jesus and, and, and the dreams for their marriage. And, and then you take that with the tough times. Think of them both having to talk about their dreams, uh, you know, praying together. Uh, you can, you could be assured both of them made ample time to be able to pray together every single day. And so I think about that often, just that, just that, uh, you know, um, docile, uh, almost kind of holy friendship in a way that they both had. It, it was really beautiful. And I think there's a lot we can learn from that too, right? Time, you know, is, is one of the most important, if not the most important commodity we have. Sometimes we think our money is our most important commodity and it's not, it's our time. So you want to have a, a healthy marriage, be like Joseph and Mary, spend time together. You know, as some have said, waste time together, that there's no time that that, that is wasted if you're together, you know, put the screens down, Put the books down even at times and just spend time with each other talking. And again, modeling that prayer life of both of them, but praying together is just going to be key. I mean, it's it's every marriage, like there cannot be a day that goes by without praying with your spouse and praying with your kids. And you don't get a two for one. You know, I, I, I tell this to men all the time. 
If you love your wife, you truly love her, you will pray for her and with her every single day. Every single day, you will, that's what a man does. And, and that's what his calling is, is, is to be uh, that, that, that prayer warrior for a family. It's what I'm going to be talking a lot about when I come up there for the men's conference. So um, Joseph and Mary, they both embodied that. And, um, and, and we have a lot to learn from them on it. We need to dial back the multitasking where we're so, as a, as a society, we think that the more productive we are, the more effective we are. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, especially when it comes to love and relationships, sometimes less is less is more. Yep. Yep. Don't, don't try to complicate this. You know, again, looking back to Joseph, he was a simple man. He didn't try to overcomplicate this stuff. Same thing with our lady. She was so simple and in their approach, you know, uh, okay, honey, I, I just heard this podcast. I got to pray with you for an hour and a half tonight. Um, no, that's, that's not it. You know, uh, it's simple, maybe five minutes of prayer, uh, maybe holding hands, sitting on the couch, reading uh, some kind of spiritual reflection together. Start there. Just, you know, as you said, less is more. Don't, don't, don't try as, you know, Matthew Kelly says, you know, don't try to go from a two to a, a 10, right? Try to take it from a two to a three. Or if you feel like you're at a three, try to take it to a five. But, you know, burnout can, can happen. Look to Mary, look to Joseph for simplicity. I love that. It's just about being that 1% better every day. Yep, that's I love it. That. What would you say to those men who are longing for a spouse, how can they use Joseph as a model to maybe find a spouse? Hmm. Um, boy, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, I, I said it before. One, one is praying, right? Um, making sure that our desires are what God desires for us. Um, you know, the first thing I would say is when you're discerning a major vocation in life, you got to have a spiritual director. You know, it's the first thing that I would say. So if there's a, a man out there, you're specifically asking about men, I, I would say the same thing for women. If you're if you're really discerning what God wants for you, whether that's priesthood, whether that's religious life, um, whether that's marriage, that you, you've got to have some sport, sort of spiritual director to be able to help you see that along the way. You know, staying close to the sacraments, regular confession can happen with a regular confessor, a spiritual director. Yes, that should be happening. On a regular basis, of course, Holy Mass um, there, but but when it comes down to it, you got to have that spiritual director along the way. It was it was the life saving grace for me that God gave was was two very very holy, devout and dedicated spiritual directors to help me really figure out this big V vocation. You know, I, I had a and, and my first spiritual director for three years is now my bishop in my diocese, which is incredible, right? When I was in seminary, he's not he wasn't a part of this this diocese, so. The joy that I have uh, having my, my old spiritual director there is just incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, that, 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 is, that is so important because as a good priest said to me once, he said, John, your vocation is not just something that you do. Your vocation is the way in which God wants to save your soul. So the primary means that God desires to save our souls is through our vocation. So I go out and I speak to a lot of people, uh, thousands and thousands a year. That's not the primary way God desires to save my soul. You know, it's it's the work that I do. It's evangelization work that I do. But the primary way God desires to save my soul is through my marriage to Teresa. That is it. That primarily is what I'm going to be judged on because that is a vow that I took. I didn't take a vow to go out and speak. I didn't take a vow in any of the, those areas. I took a vow to lay down my life and to carry my wife to heaven. And she took a vow to lay down her life and to carry me to heaven as well. 
So yeah, discerning, especially marriage, or if God's calling in priesthood, find a spiritual director. You know, you call the diocese, call your archdiocese, wherever you're listening, and uh, and normally they can provide you a list um, or talk to your pastor. They might be one themselves or be able to point you in the right direction. It's so important to have another voice, another somebody else who's in in tune to what God is is calling us for to just kind of really be another voice of reason and somebody that we can we can talk to about this, especially when we're discerning such big asks, you know, like joining the priesthood or getting married or, or becoming a parent. These are big asks. Like you said, it's, it's a big, it's a big V vocation. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit more because fatherhood is, is considered a vocation. And like we just said, like in the church, a vocation is more than just a job or a role, but many modern day fathers have jobs as well to provide for their families. And sometimes there's an overlap where one job or role can seem more important than the other. So for a father, what is the true job and how can he reframe his purpose to reflect that so that one doesn't overpower the other in terms of, you know, like if obviously we need money to survive and to provide for our families, but how do we, how do we balance that? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, you know, the job of a father is to be, is, is to be a, um, a virtuous husband. Okay. So that, that is first and foremost, the job of a father. Um, it is to love your wife, uh, and for a job of a mother, same thing to, to love your husband. Um, this is, you know, first and foremost, what I think is number one, get to give kids the greatest sense of security, but number two, it's a school for them. It's a school of what true love really is. You know, I grew up with a mom and a dad, and they're great moms and dads, but they've never really had a great marriage. They didn't demonstrate to me what a, a great and holy marriage was. They're, they're good people. Um, I, I know they love each other, uh, but, you know, it, it just, I didn't really see that um, like I try to demonstrate for my kids. You know, I want my kids to see that. One of the things, disciplines that I do is whenever I go home, the first one that I go to first is my wife. Even when my kids run up to me, daddy, daddy, I say, I got to go kiss your mom. And then I run back to my kids, right? We wrestle around and I pick them up, but, but they always know, right? And, and where's mom? Where's mom? Mom, you know, sometimes she's down doing laundry or sometimes she's upstairs and, and this is the first place I go because I want them to understand that their father's main job is his vocation to their mom. And I want them to see that. I want them to understand that. And I want them to live by that themselves as well. And I'll, I'll dare say, even those that might be divorced or annulled, the way in which you speak about that that former spouse of yours, the way in which you speak about him and her, your kids are listening. They're going to hear that, that our call is to even love them, right? Sometimes in a sacrificial way. And that can be some of the most difficult things in the world to do. But but this is primarily where I think God calls us. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is, again, that, that uh, you know, time, spending that time, but everything revolves around that first and foremost for me. And I think it's the greatest lesson that we can teach our kids is in true love. And that is the way in which we show that to our spouses. I think that's super powerful and, uh, and a great way of just, this is, this is what's important in life. You know, a, you can be replaced at a job, but you can't really be replaced at home. Right. And they may not even they may be older, right? There might be many men listening right now that think, well, my kids are older. Well, how can I do it? You can start now, right? Your, your kids will still notice. I promise you, they'll still notice. And some of them might think, what in the world has gotten into dad, right? <laughs> you know, but 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 your, your your older kids even need to see this. And then, of course, grandkids. It's just, oh, the, the impact that that can have 
um, is, is just monumental in, in your children or grandchildren's lives. That's super powerful. I want to go back to the men's conference that's coming up. Um, your keynote address is titled Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Holiness. Without giving too much away, can you expand a little bit on what that means? Yeah. So John Paul II essentially said um, that as he was ushering the church into this third millennium, that man is finding or looking to find their meaning and their reason and their purpose and everything that's less than them. And that really struck me, right? rather than what is more. So you look back to Genesis and you know one thing, we know God is very clear about one thing. Out of all the created order, out of all of his creation, there was one creature that he created higher above the rest. And that is man and woman, male and female, he created them. And the reason we know that he created us is the highest form of his creation is because out of all of the created order, we are the only ones made in his image and likeness. Right, and of all the good uh, goods that God created, and everything was good, right? Male and female, God created them, make made in His image and likeness, is the highest form. And so, uh, you know, the key, at least what I I see in the lives, of course, of the saints and in the gospel, what it points to is essentially we've got to give God what is God's. Well, what is God's? It's you and me, right? We got to give God ourselves, which means. Out of all the good things in the order, if we define ourselves even after those goods, we're never going to find what it is that we're looking for. Money is the easiest example here in this, right? The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So uh, money is, is morally indifferent. I can use it for good purposes and I can use it for bad purposes, right? But money is less than me. So therefore, if I try to define myself after a number in my bank account, I'm never, ever going to find what it is that I'm looking for. And what I'm looking for is happiness. Therefore, I must use money, right, but not reverse the relationship to use it as it's intended to be used uh, and, and allow it to serve me, not me serve it, turning it into a God. And so, again, money is the easiest example there, but you can put anything in its place, right? So even goods, even goods, we can we can turn away from God toward the, to things that we think are good. And that's not, um, that's not where God has asked us to turn. It's to turn to him. And so the whole book and my mission, of course, when I come out there and speak at the men's conferences, um, is to help us turn back to give God what is God's in our life, in our daily life, um, in our marriages, in our families, all of that, to render to God what is God's. Again, you kind of see this, you know, in the Gospels when uh, they, they, they bring to Jesus that coin and they say, well, what, what do we do with this, right? And he says, well, whose image is on this coin? And they say, well, it's Caesar's. And he says, render under Caesar what is Caesar's, right? You hear what he's saying here, whose image is stamped on this coin? Okay, whose image is stamped on you? What's God? Okay, so give that to give that to Caesar. Give yourself to God, right? God over and over again reminds us of this. So, yeah, that, that's it. Life, liberty, the pursuit of holiness is how we get happiness in our lives. That's such a powerful reframe because, again, like you can always you can always make more money, and I feel like in in hustle culture, it's always been you know the more money you have, like defines your value, and that's a complete wrong approach to how we should find ourselves worthy in the eyes of God, because um, he, he doesn't necessarily care about how much money we have. He cares about who we are and how we honor him 
while we're here on earth. Yeah, I tell this to my kids all the time. I say, you know, Joseph, Gianna, Anthony, I don't care how successful you are. I care how faithful you are. Right. And Mother Teresa, this is really where I got it from when she would talk about that a lot. Right. So the world looks at success. I could name you wildly unsuccessful canonized saints in their missionary endeavors as well. Wildly unsuccessful by the way in which we would judge them by the world. But it was their faith, their faith that saved them. What all throughout scriptures, when Jesus heals someone, what does he say? Your faith has saved you. Right? It's your faith in me. Faith is the most powerful thing we can have. It's the most powerful gift that God can give us. We just have to ask for it and be docile and humble enough to receive it. Yes, and that therein lies the struggle because we, sometimes we are we are not humble enough and we are too impatient to sit and listen. So it is it is absolutely a practice, um, and I love that that you're going to be addressing that um, in your keynote. So what do you hope the men who are, are going to be attending this conference will take away from your presentation? I, I think going back to what we were saying before, you know, that, that there's only one reason, meaning and purpose to our lives, and that is to become a saint and to be in heaven with God for all eternity. And, and saints are not just those stuck in stained glass all around your church, right? Saints are, are, are those men and women, anyone the children that are in heaven with God right now. You know, if your mom or dad, son or daughter in heaven right now, they're saints. And that this is what God has created us for, to be perfect in perfect union with him. And so, you know, to, to take our aim off of that, I think is a, is a wildly uh, massive mistake for us um, in our day-to-day endeavors and our families and our marriages and our lives. And so uh, that, that's what I hope more than anything men come away with is that I was created out of love by a God who, who loves, and I was created to become a saint, not just for this life, for 60, 70, 80, 90 years, but for life in heaven with God for all of eternity. Um, and when we get that, everything else falls into place. You know, there's, there's no suffering, there's no difficulty, there's no struggle, there's no joy that's greater uh, than, than that. And, and it's time we reorient ourselves. Again, sin disorders us. So in a disordered world, starting with me, Right. God asks us and desires for us to come back into right order with him. And um, and that's what I hope most of the men can take away while I'm there. I love that. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a really impactful men's conference this year. And everybody should be excited to hear you speak on certain lakes. I, I think that this is going to be an excellent opportunity for anybody who can attend. And I really want to thank you for your time. I think this was such an awesome conversation. No, you did a great job, Rachel. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.